Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What's up, everybody? We're back with another edition of Through the Smoke a Miami Hurricanes football podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined by Gabby Rutia. And Gabby, we are kind of in the slow time of the year, right? And I think that's general. And generally speaking, May is, is kind of a slow time for us on the website. I think it's even more so this year with coaches not being able to get out on the road and, and go check out high school prospects during their months uh, of spring football. Uh, but nonetheless, we are continuing to crank out content at InsideTheU.com and crank out podcasts here at Through the Smoke. So I think we're going to have a fun one here. I think just here in the first half, we are going to discuss some of the, the content items I produced over the weekend. You know, May is a good time for lists. Um, so I put out a post-spring top 50 ranking uh, of the Miami Hurricanes football players on the team coming out of the spring. I also put together a little mock recruiting class, and uh, Gabby's the recruiting expert here, so I wanted to get his take, his thoughts on my mock class. Um, and then the second half, we're going to have a mailbag session. Um, we asked our subscribers at Inside the U to ask some questions on the message board, and, and we we cherry picked some of the better ones and we'll, we'll dive in and answer those questions. But before we get started here, Gabby, how you doing, man? Did you have a good mother's day weekend? Get to spend time with mom. Yeah, man. I had a great mother's day weekend. It was nice. To just, it's always nice to just kind of, uh, you know, get together with family and stuff, just given how everything's kind of been the, the past year or so. So yeah, man, definitely enjoyed some time with the, you know, both sides, my family, my fiance's family and all stuff. And both of our moms, uh, both women are, you know, essential parts of our lives and stuff. So, you know, it was nice to celebrate them. And how was it on your end? Yeah, it was good. Got to, went out to eat uh, for the first time in a while, uh, fully vaccinated. So felt good about doing that and, yeah. and went to the beach. And yeah, like you said, just a nice relaxing time. Good to spend time with family. Uh, you know, you can feel normalcy kind of creeping back into our lives. So it's, it's a good thing. Um, let's dive in though. Let, let's start with the uh, your your thoughts, your quick takeaways on my post spring top fifty. For those that that don't check out the website every day, a quick Google search. I'm sure you could find it. Um, Ranking Miami's top fifty players following spring football is the title of the article. Uh, Gabby, were you surprised with who I I ranked number one? <laughs> uh, King quarterback. I felt like that one was kind of obvious and this just in general. Um, did you, did you have any issues with my order? Would you have changed anything with the way I ranked the guys? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the King was clearly the number one. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if there's anyone that's been more important for the program in the past few years. So yeah, I think, uh, 
I think Derek King was a strong number one. Um, I mean, I didn't have any, honestly, like oh, my overall takeaways, like I didn't really have much like problems with it. Um, maybe a couple things that, you know, just that stood out to me. I don't know. I, I thought like the, the specialists, like Lou Headley and Borgales, just like based on like their roles and stuff. And again, I, I know I've said this before, but I still have like PTSD from like Zach Shingles sure. and Boba Baxa. So like, I just feel like I just like valid, like, just, just a specialist in general. I feel like maybe just in my head, just cause I've, I guess it's recency bias, but just how like essential they've been to teams in the past. And I've also, we've also seen how much, uh, a bad punter and kicker could help. I mean, could like hurt the team. Right. And I just think Lou Headley's probably one of the best punters we've had here. I know he had like a historic year this past year. So might've gotten putting him a little bit higher than Borgales, maybe higher than some of the true freshmen, just because of the impact he's probably going to have immediately. And then, I mean, otherwise I was, I was pretty, I was pretty like, okay with everything. Like, you know, I, I thought DJ Ivy was a little high, but then I started thinking about it. And I was like, I kind of like that. He's a little bit high. Uh, you know, Keyshawn Smith, I think yeah, maybe have an argument, uh, you know, to be a little bit higher just based on like some of the things that we've seen and heard and stuff. But overall, like I'm, I thought it was a very strong list and, uh, you know, solid 50 if you're, if you're asking me. Yeah. So I have a hard time breaking the specialists, right? Cause I agree. Yeah. Like if you're just straight up breaking them, they, sh- I, so just from a principle and a philosophy standpoint, I always rank the specialist 49 and 50. Okay. Uh, you know, I know kickers are, and punters are people too, um, <laughs> but I just have a hard time raking them with the quote unquote real football players, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Again, no shade on the specialists. They are very important. And we've learned that the last few years. And I agree. Like if I was straight up ranking them, like I ranked the other players, honestly, Lou Headley would probably be top 15 and yeah. Borgales, you know, would probably be top 30. Um, but yes, I, I think that is a fair gripe and, and people do disagree with that philosophy, but that's just kind of how I roll with it. Um, what did you, so one thing I was kind of surprised at when I was making the list, I, I put Tyreek Stevenson, who is uh, a transfer from Georgia. I put him number three overall on the team. Um, you know, Derek King was number one, Bubba Bolden number two. I put Tyreek Stevenson number three. Do you find that surprising? You know, understandably, like we haven't seen much of him. There's kind of a small sample size there, uh, but I guess I'm betting on his talent. And I thought he had an impressive showing in the spring game. Do you think it's fair to put him number three, you know, which is above guys like Nesta Silvera, Zion Nelson, uh, Mike Harley, some of the big time guys Miami has that are coming back that we know kind of what they are. I, I do think it's fair. Honestly, like I didn't even like flinch when I saw Tyreek Stevenson that high. And that's just because, you know, we know how important the cornerback position is here and we know how much better it needs to get. And, you know, you bring a guy of Tyreek Stevenson's kind of like, you know, stature and just like what we've been able to see him do. I mean, you, if you watch George in the bowl game against Cincinnati, like you saw the play he made at the end of the game that essentially sealed the game up for the Bulldogs. You know, so, I mean, I think Tyreek Stevenson is a, is an instant impact guy at a position of, of need. So yeah, I, it didn't, it didn't bother me at all to see him rank that high. I think that he's absolutely one of the top five most, you know, probably important players on this roster right now, just given what he could potentially bring his experience, you know, just being an sec football player and all that stuff and how he just kind of elevates that room that we've kind of expected to see more from. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool with Tyreek Stevenson being there. 
Two more points I want to make on this top 50. Again, you guys can go check it out. It's on the website. Um, but I think it's notable that, and again, if you guys disagree with this, I totally understand. This list is very subjective, right? Um, so I'm, I'm here for the conversation on all of it. But I ranked in the top 25, so the top half of this team, I had seven offensive linemen listed, which, you know, as I looked at it, uh, it is crazy to me, right? Because that's yeah. kind of been a, a weak spot for the Hurricanes here, at, you know, in the last five years or so. Um, did that strike you at all? You know, having even like backups, like John yeah. Campbell in the top 25, you know, Jalen Rivers uh, is up there. I ranked him high based a lot on, on upside, right? Yeah. I had him number 17, but I am high on his talent. Um, what, what do you make of that? Do you agree with that? Do you think the offensive line can be a strength for this year's team? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think a lot of the, the hurricane success is going to kind of come off the offensive line, you know, like, I mean, I, I believe it's 165 career, like career starts returning. I believe that's like, I mean, I saw some sort of stat. It could be totally off here, but I saw a stat that was like the most like of all time of like returning starts or something like that. Just like, just like a ton Crazy. of, yeah, like a ton of returning starts. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair that there's a lot that there's high expectations on this group, you know, and, you know, I just feel like, you know, obviously offensive line has been a problem in the past. Again, we've seen what a bad offensive line can do, like, what an average offensive line would have done in that, you know, 2019 opener against Florida. I mean, that it could have potentially been the difference in the game. And, you know, Miami's offensive line was just okay. And so, you know, I think with just all the experience you have returning, you know, I think it's a, it's a special opportunity for this offense to really, really get clicking. So and again, and the offensive line isn't even set, you know, like we, we could see either DJ Scape or Jared Williams, both those guys in the top 25, either one of those guys could end up being the starting right tackle with the other one kind of relieving. And you kind of see that depth. I think it's also a testament again to the depth that they have on the, on the line that there is seven guys that you would, I mean, obviously you can only play five, but you have seven guys up there in the top 25. So I think it's just a testament to the strength of the group and, you know, how really honestly, how important that group is going to be for, for this team in 2021. The other point I want to touch on with this list, I ranked Miami's quarterbacks pretty highly on the list. Uh, you know, just from what we saw in the spring game with our own eyes, what the stats told us from the, the closed scrimmages that Miami released and also just from talking to people behind the scenes and, and what they think about uh, the quarterback group. You know, obviously I have Derek King, number one, uh, Tyler Van Dyke. I put number 26, uh, which I think is pretty high for a backup quarterback and right behind him. Jake Garcia at 27. You know, I think in the long term, I, I view Jake Garcia as the more talented player, but, but I kind of make these rankings and how things stand today. Mm -hmm. And I think if Miami had to go play a game today, Tyler Van Dyke would be the top backup and Jake Garcia would be the third stringer. Now, will that be the case a year from now? We'll see, you know, there's going to be a, a battle. I'd probably give the long-term edge to Jake Garcia, but I am also high on the talent of Tyler Van Dyke. Um, did that strike you at all as interesting that I ranked the quarterbacks that highly? And did you agree with that? No, I, again, it didn't. And I just think it's because of the sample size we got this spring. Like this is a post spring top 50. And, you know, we saw a lot of Tyler Van Dyke and Jake Garcia. You know, we saw a lot of what they're able to do in the spring game. Like you just kind of talked about, you know, I just feel like we, those are the two, those are two guys that a lot of the focus has been on this spring, like almost like, you know, just a 
kind of a year ahead look at what the quarterback competition is going to be like in 2022. So yeah, no, I, again, like just, this is a post spring, like this isn't like a post season top 50. This is just like what we've been able to gather uh, this spring, just based on what we've been able to see and the limited amount we've been able to see and what we saw in that spring game. So yeah, no, it didn't, again, it didn't, I didn't really flinch when I saw those guys that high. Um, I didn't flinch when I saw the order, you know, I, I would agree with you that Tyler Van Dyke would probably be, uh, the, the, the go-to guy, if God forbid something were to happen to De'Ara King or, you know, if there was some sort of, you know, delay in his rehab or something like that. Like, so yeah, I'm, I, I'm totally cool with that as well. So again, go check out the article. It's kind of a fun off season nonsense type article. Uh, you can debate in the thread, lots of debates going on there. Jump in there, give your two cents. Uh, next thing I want to touch on Gabby is my latest mock recruiting class. Um, you're the recruiting expert. Again, this is on the website. You guys can go find it if you want to read the whole thing. Um, did you, if you're nitpicking it, right? What, yeah. what would you say was, was your biggest issue with my mock class? Yeah. I mean, again, I feel like this class is like hard to project right now. Like you, you have the, just the one commitment and it's almost mid-May. So, I mean, not a lot. I mean, honestly, not a lot. Like, I feel like it was pretty similar to the one I did. The only one that I was just kind of like, whoa, like we'll see is probably Malik Ogbo, who's a four-star offensive lineman out of, you know, Federal right. Way, Washington, the Pacific Northwest. And that's not even because there's a lack of interest on his end or anything like that. You know, this is a guy that's going to be a, taking one of his five official visits to Miami. I believe it's the weekend of June 4th. So, you know, there, Malik Ogbo absolutely is a guy that, you know, Miami is interested in and that likes Miami. But again, just like, you know, just being from the Pacific Northwest and, you know, with Oklahoma, LSU, schools like that, that are also kind of making a push here. Uh, you know, I just I just I'm not sure if Miami's in the driver's seat there, uh, not to say that they can't make a move or that Malik Agbo can't end up in this class. You know, he has he's always had a lot of great things to say about Miami. But, uh, you know, that's that's probably the one that I was just like, OK, like maybe uh, the, the other one that I was just kind of like and I can I just kind of looking for at it from. Uh, you know, fans perspective, like, you know, wide receiver Landon Ibieta, right. you know, I know, you, you know, just throughout the cycle, the wide receiver board has looked a little different, uh, you know, obviously with the, with Isaiah Bond, the top two, four, seven wide receiver out of Buford, Georgia committing to, to Florida, obviously shakes things up. And that kind of, I'm assuming that's probably why Landon Ibieta kind of got the bump up into this yep. class. Uh, you know, Jaden Gibson out of Winter Garden, West Orange, kind of trending towards Florida. So, you know, kind of a pivot at the position. So I can see some people being like, whoa, Landon Ibieta, like, how did this just happen? You know, but, you know, I, I, I'm a Landon Ibieta fan. So, you know, I've seen him play. I saw him at Battle Miami and he was unbelievable. I know he's done really good things across the seven on seven circuits too. So those are the only two. But again, like, it's not even like gripes. It's just more of just like maybe two of the more like, whoa, type of guys, you know? I will say this, and we'll probably get into this more in the second half uh, when we start answering uh, questions from the message yeah. board. But I will say it was a lot harder to project the offensive side yeah. of this class compared to the defensive side. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just, I don't know. I think it's a lot more fluid on the offensive side. It's a lot more recruiting battles. And I think... It, it just seems like on the defensive side, they know their guys, they know their top, you know, three to four targets at each position on the defensive mm -hmm. side. And, uh, you know, that they're going to get one of those guys at least at, at each one of those positions on offense. 
like you, you mentioned Malik Agba, right? Like, do I necessarily think he's going to pick Miami? I don't, I would, I would probably say no, but he's an offensive lineman that has his official visit set. And so if I'm uh, making a mock class right now, I'm going to put him on it. Uh, you know, Dotre Richardson, I feel good about how Miami's trending, but Florida State's still the team that beat Leighton Nelson. Again, I, I feel good about Miami, but he's also going to visit schools like Louisville, Pittsburgh, and Tennessee. And could I see him enjoying those schools more than Miami? I could see that. But again, Miami's squarely in the mix. Tight end Anthony Jones. Um, you know, Miami's got to battle teams like Texas and Oregon and USC to, to land him. So I think it's tough. Um, to project offense right now, hopefully, you know, after the month of June, that that side of the ball will kind of uh, tighten up in, in terms of the board and understanding who where things stand or, or have guys committed outside of Jakari Brown, the quarterback. Um, but but it was difficult projecting the offensive side. Do you, do you agree with that kind of impression I had? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it feels like the offensive board is still like kind of shaking up in a lot of ways. You know, like you're still seeing Garen Justice like actively offering offensive linemen. Uh, you know, I'm sure that maybe Miami will start give to, give more looks to receivers or just kind of change their perspective on you know how they kind of approach the receivers. You have your quarterback, so you're not too worried about that. Uh, I don't think anyone's totally convinced Miami's going to take a running back after you know bringing in Cody Brown, the former Tennessee signee that uh, you know picked Miami. So. Um, you know, I think that, you know, in a lot of the ways, the offensive, the offensive side of the ball is just kind of a bunch of question marks. Um, but I mean, when you consider, you know, the Miami's coming off a strong offensive class, right? Like, you know, right, you just right. got, you got, you just added three, four, four star wide receivers. Two of them were top two, four, seven guys and Brashard Smith and Romello Brinson. You know, you landed three local offensive linemen, you know, it was a strong, it was a strong year in South Florida last cycle for offensive linemen and wide receiver. And you kind of clean that up. You kind of look around the state of Florida you know, this cycle. And it's just like, where it's are down. the, where, where are the wide receivers? And exactly. And if, you know, if there's not, if there is that down year locally for Miami, I mean, it's not super often the Miami goes like out of Florida to go find a wide receiver. You have your exceptions, like, you know, Keyshawn Smith, you have Daz Worsham and stuff like that, but those are once in a while type of guys. So for when there's a down year like that on the, I feel like across the off, just the offense in general, like running backs, who's the top running back? You know, there's not really right. a top local running back receiver. You're not going to have a top local wide receiver offensive line. You got Julian Armella. You got Daughtry Richardson. Miami's in it for both of those guys. And then, you know, tight end, there's none really quarterback. There's none really. So I feel like it's just an interesting cycle for Miami offensively. Uh, it probably won't be this way for again for a while. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those years where it's kind of like, a, hmm, what do we like? What it, it just doesn't play into Miami's hands, maybe the way it has other cycles. So I, I don't blame the offensive side for, you know, how it's kind of shaping up right now. You landed your quarterback, which I think was the most important piece there. Huge. You're, you're still in it for a couple quality top targets, some out of state guys that you're going to have to, you know, chase after and kind of beat other schools for. But I think Miami's in a pretty good spot with some of those guys as well. So I think we just got to be patient here and just kind of see how this continues to shake up over the next few months. Yeah. And I'll say this too. I think it's, it's also worth remembering that it is kind of a new era in terms of talent acquisition. Yeah. And, and as long as the 25 man cap is still in place. And as long as the transfer portal is still a thing, schools like Miami can be more picky um, 
rather than, you know, just take a quote unquote borderline high school prospect, they can save those spots for, you know, potential guys that enter the transfer portal that would probably be more talented than taking a borderline uh, high school type prospect. So I think Miami and a lot of schools around the country are going to be a little more picky when it comes to taking uh, quote unquote borderline type type uh, prospects at the high school level. Um, okay, Gabby, that was good stuff. Let's take a break here and then we will jump into the mailbag. Um, some questions from our message board posters at insidetheu.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we're back, Gabby. Uh, I think some good questions here. Um, let's just jump right into it. Uh, so this is from Paul Erickson. Uh, he asks... Which player on each side of the ball do you feel like develops the most and takes the next step this season? Um, so let's let's divide it up: offense, defense first. Let's let's start with you, uh, Gabby. Who do you think kind of fits this description on the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, on the offensive side, there was a couple of guys that I was juggling, but I and I honestly landed on Jalen Rivers. You know, I think that he's a guy that you know could potentially. I know I've, I've talked about him a lot in the past too. Uh, I just think he's a guy that kind of steps into that left guard spot and, you know, just, just really hold it down. I think he's a guy that could potentially take the next step and help Miami as a unit, take the next step in the run game. And, you know, this is a guy that they've been talking high, very highly about basically since he stepped foot on campus as an early enrollee last year. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that uh, he's a guy that could really just, I think he's in a position where, you know, he just kind of takes that next step. And just really helps out the offense. I mean, 6'5", 325 as a redshirt freshman, you know, I think that he's going to have a chance to, to do some good things for the offense. So I, I, I would put, put Jalen Rivers there. I agree. Time to get him in the starting lineup. Uh, time to see that talent kind of blossom. I think that's a good selection. I'll go Keyshawn Smith, the wide receiver. I don't think it was a coincidence that he started the spring game. Uh, you know, I, I think Miami does want to get him going in, in that regard from a confidence standpoint. Um, you know, I think essentially the way to look at Keyshawn is he's competing with D Wiggins for snaps. And, and last year, D Wiggins led the wide receiver group in snaps. I think he was over 700 offensive snaps, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, more than Mark Pope, more than Mike Harley, uh, I'm not sure D Wiggins is going to have that many snaps this year. I still think he's going to have a big role. 
Uh, but, but kind of a big reason why he, his snaps are probably going to decrease is the emergence of Keyshawn Smith, who, you know, in a straight up race, is he faster than D Wiggins? Probably not, but his speed is still very good. Uh, but the thing that Keyshawn kind of flashes more than, than D does is uh, ball skills. He, he flashes the ability to make some contested catches. Uh, he, he flashes some nice body control. Saw that a little bit in the spring game. Um, so I think he's a guy they want to get going. And I wouldn't be surprised if kind of the starting three wide receivers uh, in 2021 are Charleston Rambo, Mike Harley, and Keyshawn Smith with guys like D. Wiggins, Xavier Restrepo, Mark Pope, maybe Jeremiah Payton too, if he makes a healthy return, uh, kind of rotating into the mix as well. Um, so that was my pick on offense. Defense, who you got? On defense, I mean, I got Jafari Harvey. And uh, I, I, the reason why I go that route is just because you know, I feel like every time this, like every year, like around this time, we're always just kind of like wondering, like, who's going to step up at edge rusher? You know, I know we're talking about, everyone's talking about DeAndre Johnson right now. But I feel like there's just been similar questions, just like every offseason, it feels like we're just sitting here and just like, you know, last year was like, is Jalen Phillips going to be who we think he is? Like, or who we think he could be? Like, how limited is he going to be? You know, before that, right. it was like, is Greg Russo like Greg Russo was kind of like not even being talked about like I'm not sure if you go back two years ago to May or 2019 May if you guys were talking about Greg Russo on the Through the Smoke podcast just because like you know the talent was there and stuff like that we knew the potential was there but like we weren't really talking about him as like the guy that oh this is going to be the guy that has 19 and a half tackles for loss this year you know so uh you know I feel like Jafari Harvey is in a pretty similar situation you know I feel like he has athletically and physically he's Got all the tools, 6'4", 252, you know, former blue chip guy. Uh, you know, obviously, I think it's been a little bit slower of a progression for him, but I also think that could be because, you know, Quincy Roche, Jalen Phillips were ahead of him last year. They obviously took a large bulk of the snaps there. But I think, you know, he could be in line to really just surprise people this year and just kind of be that guy that Miami's just kind of had a knack for finding. So I think Jafari Harvey could be a guy that, you know, could potentially take that next step. And I think if he does – like if he, yeah, it's if huge. he actually does, yeah, it would be absolutely huge for the defense. Like I think his development and him coming along and being kind of who they thought he was going to be coming out of high school and who he's kind of showed flashes of being, I think that would just be massive for, for the defensive line, for just the pass rush, for just the whole entire defense in general. I think like he alone stepping up could really elevate the defense to a completely different level. That's a good one. Uh, I'm here for it. Hopefully it happens. Uh, I am going to go with, Avante Williams, the second year freshman safety who made a strong first impression during the spring. And really what I'm, you know, there is kind of a crowded depth chart there. Like he, he probably does have to still beat out Gervin Hall, but, but I think it's going to happen, uh, you know, during the course of fall camp. And really I'm just kind of betting on the star power here that Avante brings to the position. I just think he's too talented not not to get in that starting lineup and, and the duo of Bubba Bolden and Avante Williams, you know, in my mind would be in the conversation as one of the better safety duos in the ACC. Um, so I'm betting on Avante Williams. There are some things he still needs to clean up as a player, uh, but the talent's obvious. He's He's got a knack for being around the ball all the time, plays hard, plays fast. Um, 
and, you know, coach T Rob says he's got a real big thirst for knowledge, always hitting him up, asking him for tips, you know, when watching film and all that stuff. So I am high on Avante Williams. I, I like his trajectory right now, his development. And so I'm going to, I'm going to name him on, on the defensive side of the ball. All right. Next question comes from USAF Kane. Um, who do you think is the biggest quote unquote must get prospect in this class? Gabby, I'll give you the honors. Yeah, I, I'm, I kind of juggled with a few guys. I mean, I think there's a couple different directions that you can go here. Um, man, to pick one is going to be tough, tough, but yeah, um, man, I'll probably go. I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go Wesley Besaint. And yeah. I think that's just more of just like, you know, the need at linebacker. Sure. And, you know, just like how much I feel like Miami just continues to need to upgrade that room. I, I the reason I didn't go Nigel e. Kelly was just because I feel, I feel I feel generally good about the way that the position has just been played in general under Manny Diaz. So I figure I feel like no matter what, they could generally figure it out. Um, so, I, I mean, I feel like linebackers just been much tougher. And, yeah, man, after watching Wesley just, you know, play again, practice the other, uh, last week at Miami Central. Um, and he's just got some like presence about him where he's just got like that quiet confidence. Yeah. And then just has like that, you know, just like when it like, you know, when it's time to snap the ball, he just kind of turns some switch or I don't know what it is where it's just like, he just becomes like this alpha and, you know, you just kind of see that, like, you know, he would just, he would be, he, he would be so helpful to what Miami wants to do on defense, just like the mentality of a linebacker and stuff and his athleticism and just like the way he moves around. I don't think Miami has a player like him on the roster right now, to be quite honest, you know, I think he's a, He's a very, very serious talent that, you know, just fits a lot. He just, I feel like he just checks a lot of the boxes of what Miami needs at linebacker. So that's why I'd go Wesley Besaint, the top two, four, seven linebacker out of Miami central. Yeah. So I had two guys written down for this and Wesley was one of them. Right. So we're, we're in agreement there. Let me ask you this. Like I, when I think about this, right. Must get in this class. I think about three positions above all others. I think about edge rush because I think it is important to get one of those quote unquote elite guys, whether it's Nigel Lee Kelly, Marvin Jones, Jr. Or Shamar Stewart. Yeah. I think Miami's got to keep one of those home. And then I also think corner is yeah. big for this class too. So I kind of look at those three spots. Do you agree with that? Yeah. No, I had, I'm, I'm like, I had my notes in front of me. I had Wesley Besaint, Nigel Lee Kelly, or Kamari Rogers. Like those are the three guys that yeah. I was kind of like yeah. battling with in my head. So I, I am going to go with Kamari Rogers, right? The, the cornerback from Mississippi. And, and the reason why I named him, number one, like Miami does need to improve the talent in that cornerback room. Um, it, it's time to get some studs, some dudes in that room. And Kamari Rogers is a top 100 uh, prospect, uh, according to the 24-7 sports composite. Also, just from a big picture perception recruiting success standpoint Miami brought in uh, Travaris Robinson and, and elevated Demarcus Van Dyke from a recruiting role to a coach on field role to win battles like this right top 100 recruit uh, he's a guy from SEC country it, it looks like it's going to be a Miami and Ole Miss type battle um, but this is a battle that you know guys like T-Rob and DVD need to win. Uh, this is why they were brought here. This is why Manny Diaz made those changes to the coaching staff to improve the recruiting at the cornerback position in particular. Um, so, you know, I think Kamari, 
they're going to get him on campus twice in June. Is that right, Gabby? Yeah, he'll be he'll be at the cookout on June 1st, and then he has that official visit weekend. I believe it's the weekend of June 18th. So things are looking good there, right? There's obviously a high-level interest on Kamari's side. Miami's pushing hard to get him. I think he's a guy that you know would would crack the the playing rotation as a true freshman at Miami next year. Um, and again, they need to they need to improve the overall talent level of that cornerback room. I think Kamari uh, goes a lot. You know, adding him would would help accomplish that big time. But yeah, like you said, I think the other guy that you know, if we were going to list a third guy, it would be Nigelie Kelly. All right, next yeah, no. question. J-Rob4, he wants to know, how many commits do we get June 1st and June 2nd? So June 1st, for those that are unaware, Miami's holding a cookout uh, with the 2022 class, mainly 2022 class. Uh, it's, it's kind of an unofficial visit day for the Hurricanes. First day that uh, recruits can go visit any school around the country. So Miami's trying to bring in as many big-time guys as they can. Gabby has a good running list up on the website. Plenty of big-time dudes planning to be there. Then June 2nd, they're going to have the 2023s uh, on campus for that day. So J-Rob4 wants to know, you know, should we expect any commits to come out of those first or second days of June? Um, I, I would assume he means immediately, so maybe within yeah. two or three days of those those visits. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think any will come. I mean, I'm just thinking like on the junior day, I mean the, like for the 2023s, just based on how Miami's kind of been approaching the recruiting cycle. I'm not sure if they're just going to be eager to take any commitments from like, you know, a, like a, a rising junior that is about to take beyond their first visit tours and all that stuff and about to go see a bunch of different schools. So I wouldn't expect anything to come out of the June 2nd day, at least not immediately. Uh, June 1st, uh, I feel like I'm kind of on the fence again, you know, just like th this is a, this is like an invite only type of event where it's a lot of highly touted guys, you know, high priority to target guys. And, you know, I feel like a lot of these guys are going to kind of want to go through these visits, you know, like take the June 1st visit to Miami, uh, you know, go on some official visits, you know, a lot of these guys that are going to be there have trips planned elsewhere. So, I mean, honestly, like I would, I would be pretty surprised to see anyone, uh, you know, immediately like june like that first like you know the week of june 1st like through like the fifth or the sixth or whatever i would be surprised if someone committed um just because like you know i'm not sure if miami's gonna want to get to commit and he's gonna go take three official visits you know so unless someone's willing to just like kind of shut it down um uh, right. potentially maybe like a jacoby spells type where he just kind of says all right i'm done um heck maybe even like a wesley besaint who knows what happens i mean he's gonna be there june 1st i know miami's been on him super hard you know he keeps indicating that he's getting closer to a decision uh so you know who knows but uh, honestly i would be pretty surprised to see anyone that like really just kind of pop like very soon after that i don't know if you feel any differently david i know you've probably been around these recruiting events a little more than i have no i agree i i, I would be surprised if if there's any immediate uh commitments i think you know, that June 1st event to me is kind of more about like setting the table for the rest of the yeah. month. And so I think we will see some guys that visit June 1st commit to Miami later in the month. Right. Definitely. So, so I think the goal there is to make a strong first impression yeah. to get guys excited about Miami and then kind of seal the deal at some point later in the month. Uh, no doubt. But, 
you know, again, hopefully I'm wrong. Recruiting's tough to predict and uh, maybe they do get one or two guys to commit. Let me ask you this, right? So, so Quan Lee, who is a key receiver target for Miami out of Gainesville, he announced uh, last night uh, on social media that he plans to announce a commitment on May 26th. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, how good do you feel about Miami's chances there? Yeah. I mean, I, I felt good about Quan Lee for a while now, you know, I don't have a crystal ball in for him or anything like that. Um, just because he kind of seems to be a kid that's kind of started to keep it more quiet, you know, as the recruiting process has kind of gone on, but, you know, I think it's pretty telling that, you know, Isaiah Bond picked Florida. And then a few days later, you know, Miami starts sending out the edits and all that stuff. Then Quan Lee's kind of ready to shift his commitment date. Um, you know, I know he's going to be at Miami that June 11th weekend. He's close friends with Ja'Curry Brown. I feel good about where Miami stands right now. You know, I'm not exactly sure if, you know, if he's deciding to move his commitment date up, if West Virginia is going to be the pick after not really seeing the school, if Coastal Carolina is going to be able to beat out Miami and West Virginia, you know, I love the Chanticleers and everything they got going on over there, but not too sure about that one. Um, you know, so I just, I feel good about where Miami stands with them. I know he's a guy that they really like, and they've liked for a long time and he knows that. And, you know, I know he's built a really good relationship with Rob Likens and stuff. So, you know, I feel pretty good about where Miami stands with him heading into that, that May 26th commitment date. And and West Virginia is, is kind of viewed as the top competition, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would say West Virginia is the top competition and, you know, I, I get it as a pass catcher, you know, they have a history of being able to do a lot of stuff with those guys, but not sure how much they've done very recently with receivers. So, you know, I, I definitely feel good about, you know, I, I, I kind of like Miami. Like if it's, if it is a Miami West Virginia battle, like I feel like Miami's in a greater spot there. Next question comes from the CMD three Oh five. He wants to know, we keep hearing how Miami wants to save spots for transfers. This class, what positions will they attack the hardest in the transfer portal this cycle? Also, could you see Miami counting any guys forward and adding a new name before Bama week one? So he wants to know what positions will we, do we think Miami will hit hard in the transfer portal maybe after the season? And then I guess he wants to know, do we think there's a possibility Miami adds guys here before the season that they will have to count forward for the 2022 cycle? I'll let you go first, Gabby. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think just like, I just think positions moving forward. I mean, I think linebacker, there's an obvious need at linebacker. Uh, so I think, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Miami continues to kind of just like evaluate those guys, you know, especially just moving forward into next year, even if it's not even counting forward. Um, I think on the offensive line, again, just, you know, we're losing a lot of offensive linemen after the season. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Miami gave, gave some guys looks at, at that position just to kind of, try to reload that position as much as possible that you're going to lose a, a few guys there. Um, cornerback. I mean, I think you just got to continue to, uh, you know, add to the team, you know, continue to, yeah. especially at that position. You didn't, add, you didn't grab anyone. You didn't sign anyone last cycle, any true cornerback. You added Tyreek Stevenson. I feel good about Miami's chances of just being able to land top guys at these positions. I mean, they've been able to do it consistently. So there's no reason to think that Miami couldn't get quality players at these positions and a kind of a dark horse position that I, I just kind of thought of when just kind of like sulking on this, like maybe tight end, right? Like Will Mallory's probably going to be gone after this year. And then the tight end room is going to look like Dominic Memorelli, Larry Hodges, Elijah Arroyo, who obviously probably has the highest upside of those guys. 
And then, you know, whoever Miami brings in a tight end this cycle, like I think that there's going to be an opportunity for someone in the portal or just someone like, I don't know, out there to kind of see an immediate need at Miami, a school that's produced a lot of good tight ends and be like, Hey, you know what? Like maybe I can go over there and do something. So I was thinking about tight end and then like, I, I mean, you never know. I don't know how many like top quality tight ends have hit the portal or have landed it elsewhere, but I mean, I could see there being a need there uh, after yeah. this after this coming season. So that was another spot that I kind of like just thought about in my head. And so, yeah, I don't know if you have anything else different, David, but those are those are four spots that that I kind of thought of. Yeah, I'll start with the the question about adding guys before Bama Week One, which would be you know this summer, yeah. of course. I, I I think Miami's always looking. Yeah, um, but but at the same time, and you know specifically at linebacker, right? Um, but but again, Miami really what they care about most is talent. How how talented are you? And just because guys enter the transfer portal doesn't necessarily mean they're good or better. And when I say better, they have to be demonstrably better than what Miami already has. Because if you bring in a, a a transfer player, the potential is there to really wreck your depth chart. You know, it, it could send guys from your own roster transferring out. And so that's a tough situation to balance. Um, I think it's a much easier case to make if, if you bring in a guy that clearly has experience, clearly, clearly has produced at a high level. And honestly, uh, best case scenario in terms of maintaining your current roster and depth chart is it's going to be a one-year situation. Um, and so I think when you look at it, will Miami add guys this summer for that Alabama game, I think Miami will, they're not against it, but you need, it needs to be a, a situation where Miami's all in on a guy and they feel like, yes, this guy can definitely come in and start no questions asked. Um, now, will those types of guys necessarily enter the transfer portal? We'll see. And then, you know, in the case of like a Henry Toa Toa, uh, the linebacker that transferred from Tennessee to Alabama here recently, like, yeah, Miami would have loved to add him. Uh, but, but at the same time, Miami is battling teams like Alabama and Ohio State to land that caliber, that quality player. Um, so competition matters the caliber of player matters. Miami's not just going to add a transfer player to add a transfer player. Um, so I think it's, it's worth remembering that in terms of like after the off season, I think you, you highlighted some good positions. I would say, honestly, I, I think it's going to be similar positions, uh, you know, targeted to, to this cycle. I, I yeah. kind of look at, Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they need to go get a defensive end still. Yeah, I, I think linebacker. Uh, I think corner. You mentioned corner. I feel better, I think, about where things are at from a development and talent and depth standpoint on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, with the offensive line, like you mentioned, you know, if, if guys do transfer out, which I think is a possibility, right? Some of these backups that, that maybe don't want to wait another year um, and, and can go start somewhere else, then yeah, Miami's going to have to probably start looking at, at the offensive line for the transfer portal next year. But if they can convince guys like, you know, 
uh, Ja'Kai Clark or, or John Campbell to stick around one more year, I think things are, are going to be okay on the offensive line for next year. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is it, it's kind of a hard, hard thing to project, you know, nine months out because there's so many factors uh, out of, out of our control that go into these, you know, these things like who transfers out from Miami side, um, what, what players have injuries, you know, that, that might take them out for a long time. Who are the early NFL draft entries that maybe Miami didn't see coming? Um, and also just in general, who enters the portal period? Um, so, uh, there's a lot of factors there, but yeah, I think, you know, we, we kind of answered that the best we could for now. Um, next question from Lem coach, L E M coach. Uh, what are the likely guys we are in play for at the defensive end position? I'll let you just take this and run with it, Gabby. Yeah. So, I mean, just in terms of just targets at, at the defensive end, I mean, you have to start at the top with, with Nigel E. Kelly, uh, you know, Dante Anderson uh, is out of Miami Homestead for a star. I don't know why I said Miami Homestead. Homestead, I guess, is his own city, which I learned now because I live in Homestead. I should know that better. That's totally <laughs> on me. Uh, we got DJ Wesselak. He's a top 247 guy, 6'6", like 230 out of Boonville, Missouri. So he's another guy that, uh, you know, is planning on officially visiting Miami. Um, I believe it's the weekend of the 18th. Yeah, I believe it's the weekend of the 18th that he's going to be there. Uh, Bo Atkinson out of Leesville Road in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, same high school as Braxton Berrios. He's going to be on Miami's campus on June 1st. And you got Mario Eugenio, who's also going to be at the cookout. So those are five guys that have already like set visits to Miami. And then you got Marvin Jones Jr., you know, the potential five-star out of Plantation American Heritage. Uh, he's going to be on Miami's June 1st. And then you got obviously Shamar Stewart, who is kind of juggling whether he wants to be at Miami or uh, at Georgia on June 1st. So, you know, I feel like there's a, there's a large number of guys that, uh, you know, Miami's kind of targeted and identified at that position. Obviously the local guys, which we've talked about a whole bunch, you know, with Shamar Stewart, Marvin Jones, Nigel Lee Kelly, Dante Anderson, those types of guys. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think that there's a, I think that there's a chance for Miami to just like really make an impression on some of these guys on June 1st. Like, you know, Marvin Jones Jr. For example, is a guy that, you know, has looked at Ohio state, uh, Alabama, Oklahoma, Florida state and stuff like that. And, you know, but you know, he is going to be on Miami's campus June 1st. So I feel like there's an opportunity there for, you know, a perspective change of sorts to happen. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I just don't think you could ever count out Miami, you know, as long as they're the hometown team, you know, a lot of the, I feel like the way that I kind of see it with some of these guys, you know, just in general, like Miami, just being the hometown team, hasn't really been able to kind of like hammer that home in a sense, just because everyone's recruiting the same right now. Like the same way that Miami can talk to all these local prospects is the same way Alabama and Ohio state and all these Georgia, all these other schools, LSU could talk to them. You know, Miami hasn't been able to bring these guys right down the road and kind of show off what's kind of right in their backyard. And I think June 1st is an opportunity for, you know, the kind of, for them to kind of shift their perspective, especially for players at that right. position that are looking nationally and be like, Hey, look, we just put two guys in the first round. You know, you don't have to go very far. Like, look how quickly, like it, it took you no more than 25, 30 minutes to get to our campus today. Like right. you don't have to go far from home. You could be home for dinner most nights or some nights at least. And, you know, you could still be developed and you could still, you know, potentially be a first rounder here. Like we've proven that we have been able to do it before. 
And, you know, and I just think also just from like a physical development standpoint, they've seen like, you know, you could show off what they've been able to do physically with some of these guys like Greg Russo, Jalen Phillips, and, you know, all these guys, even a Jafari Harvey has put on like 25 plus pounds since getting to you. Right. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, with those defensive ends, you know, I know it doesn't necessarily look like, you know, things are necessarily trending in, in, a, in, the, in a more positive direction with some of like the top end guys, but I do think that there's still a lot of time. You look at Leonard Taylor, James Williams, no shot anyone was projecting either one of those guys in Miami's class this time last year. So I think once things open up and Miami's able to get some of those guys on campus, I think that, you know, it's, there, there's, it opens the door, like you said, David, to kind of set the, set the stage, kind of set the table for what the rest of the recruiting process is going to look like. So uh, I'm interested to see what happens there. And just the fact that a lot of these guys will be at UM is a, is a positive sign. So plenty of names to know. Um, definitely a couple different directions that this could, could turn. But, you know, I feel like Miami is being patient and just kind of trusting, you know, how this recruiting process is eventually going to play out with some of those top names. Let me ask you this, because I think we agree, like Miami needs to land at least one elite defensive yeah. end prospect, right? Where do you draw that line? Because we've mentioned you know, the three South Florida guys, Marvin Joe Jr., Nigel Lee Kelly, Shamar Stewart. Would you include any of these other defensive ends in that quote unquote elite category? I mean, probably the only one, I mean, Kenyatta Jackson, I feel like you got to throw his name in there too, but it seems like, you know, Oklahoma, Ohio state, Clemson are kind of battling it out right now. I'm not sure how much Miami's kind of in, I don't know about involved or just kind of in his picture at the moment. Um, and then, I mean, I would draw a line probably, you know, I would go obviously Shamar Stewart, Marvin Jones Jr., Nigel e. Kelly. And, you know, in terms of the local guys, I would draw the line right there. But I think DJ Wesolak is a very, yeah. very interesting name. Uh, you know, this is a guy that Clemson wants. This is a guy that's going to, you know, take visits to USC. Um, going on a little road trip, he's going to hit Georgia, uh, North Carolina, Clemson, you know, a few schools. Like, this is a guy that has, is very highly touted, so – um, in terms of the names at, in general, I would draw the line after DJ Wesolak in terms of okay. elite names. And then the second tier, I would put Dante Anderson, right, uh, right, right. Bo Atkinson, and then probably Mario Eugenio. The other thing I want to touch on with defense events before we move on, Nigel Lee Kelly uh, starting to, to pick up some big, big, big yeah. time offers now, right? So Clemson and, and Georgia, I think both offered on Monday. What do you think that, does that shake anything up? anything up in terms of where things stand with Miami in your mind? I'm, I'm not sure how much it shakes things up with just Miami in general. I mean, I feel like we all kind of expected this to happen, you know, just cause we've, we've kind of seen, we've all seen him in person, David, you saw him in person. I've seen him a few times. And when you see a kid like that, you kind of expect that, you know, these major programs would come calling. And so, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising, but I think Miami, you know, feels probably pretty good about, you know, the relationship that they've already kind of developed with him. You know, it's been going on for some time now. So I think uh, this is one of those this is one of those guys where, you know, Miami just has to hope that like, you know, the hometown, like, you know, them identifying him early, much, much longer before any of these other schools kind of ends up ends up paying off here. But, you know, whenever the Clemson's come calling and, you know, Brent Venables is a hard guy to turn down, I would imagine uh, right. Georgia, you know, is obviously Georgia. So that's always, um, you know, they're always a threat, especially in South Florida and what they've been able to do down here. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. I feel like it's a long way from over and, uh, you know, we just kind of, you just got to keep battling it out. You know, I think that, I think those are absolutely two big pieces, major pieces. And I don't think any recruit would ever just flat out turn away either one, either one of those programs. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it just, I just think it keeps everything more interesting for sure. All right. So we got two more questions left here. We're going to, we're going to tackle. Um, first one of those questions is 
from Matthew Kane 34. And it says, are you worried about the lack of highly rated recruits we are going to sign? Or is it just a case of being undervalued by the rating services? And then he notes, Butch Davis killed it with three-star players. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's too early to just start talking about like the lack of highly rated recruits. We Let me are, ask you this, though. Let yeah. me say this, because I, I kind of see where he's coming from. With, you know, if we're going to talk the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Would you agree with that? And, you know, I guess just in general, would, are you are you more concerned about the offensive side of the ball than the defensive side? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would definitely be more concerned about the offensive side. And again, I think it's kind of just kind of going back to what I was saying earlier. I think it's more of just like a product of just how things have kind of shaped up locally. Like there's just not a lot of top like end like guys down here. So you have to kind of go into uncharted territories or just territories you're not generally known for kind of being active in and trying to like get skill position guys, you know, on the offensive side from other parts of the country where you normally would just kind of pick them out of your backyard. So I think that's a part of the reason why. So yeah, in in a sense, I guess I would be a little bit like, you know, on edge just about like how many highly touted guys they're going to end up landing uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So in that sense, yeah. But on the defensive side, I feel like they're in play with a ton of dudes. Like even in your in your mock right. in your mock class, you had five top two four seven guys and like nine four stars. You know, like so. Right. And, and as a whole, I'm not like super worried about where Miami stands with like you know blue chip guys. But yeah, on the offensive side, I, I could see the concern about you know the the lack of star power that you know where some people are seeing in the mocks right now. But you know, I could still see a, a situation where the board sh- like shifts you know, over the next few months and just kind of depending on how, you know, people I could see. And again, also what you mentioned, Miami doesn't have to be that picky. Like Miami can be very picky because they don't need to just reach for a guy that they're not maybe a hundred percent sold on because I think they also feel good about what their place in this transfer portal portal market where they can go get a guy that, you know, could immediately help or help more than maybe some, you know, high school kid that they're maybe not sold on. So I think they might be just more conservative in their approach, especially this cycle. If they're not in love with anybody that they can just like, you know, hold on to some of those spots. And that's what we've kind of been preaching on the site. Just been like, you know, they could just hold on to some of these slots for transfer portal guys. And I think that could, that could be a possibility for sure. Yeah. I mean, I will, I will admit like I am in kind of like wait and see mode with the offensive side. Um, You know, We'll see how all that shakes out. I do feel good about the quarterback, right? Jakari Brown, I think he's a quarterback with star potential. He obviously has to put in more work, still has to develop, but I think he's a a tremendous get uh, for Miami in this class at the most important position, you know, on a football team, uh, let alone offense. So that's a good start. I think too, you know, you touched on it when you talked about the local scene here uh, on offensive skill talent with wide receivers and running backs. Uh, but I want to, I want you to go into, you know, maybe what, what the local 2023 cycle. So the next cycle looks like at wide receiver and running back Gabby, it's, it's pretty strong, right? Yeah, it's absolutely loaded at both of those spots. I mean, you, you go to the wide receivers and that's another thing. It's just like, do you need to reach for a wide receiver? I mean, just in the 2023 class alone in the top two, four, seven, you got five-star Brandon Innes out of Plantation, American Heritage. You got Jalen Brown out of Miami Gulliver, who showcased a bunch of elite speed. You have Andy Jean out of North Miami Northwestern. You have Nathaniel Joseph out of Miami Edison. And you got Hakeem Williams out of Fort Lauderdale Stranahan. So you got five highly like 
super highly yeah. touted pass catchers just in the top two or four seven. And then you got guys like Santana Fleming. And then you got guys like, you know, Lamar Seymour out of Miami Central, who's already committed to Miami. And right. then you got David Jester. You know, there's a bunch of pass catchers at like a bunch of wide receivers locally in 2023. So I think Miami could afford to, you know, maybe take a guy or two that they feel good about and then just kind of start going all in on that 2023 class at wide receiver. And the same could be said at running back, you know, right, like right. Mark, it seems like Mark Fletcher out of Plantation American Heritage is a guy that they're going to go all in on. You know, he's a guy that Miami really, really likes. You know, they're probably not super focused on landing or running back this cycle. So I think Mark Fletcher becomes a high priority for them. And then you got Cedric Irvin, another top 247 running back out of Miami Gulliver Prep. You know, Miami's probably not super involved with him. I know Michigan State, his dad, Cedric Irvin Sr., is an alum there. There's a very, very big Michigan State guy. So I think there's a chance that he ends up over there. But you still got a couple other backs, like, you know, Richard Young, the five-star out of, yep. you know, the yep. southwest coast of Florida. So, you know, I think uh, those guys, those are some names to know. And, you know, the skill positions, like, revamp or reload in a big way next cycle. So that's why I'm not super concerned about what Miami does at wide receiver. I think maybe a landing a Quan Lee type and, you know, even a Landon Ibieta or even like an Isaiah Horton out of Tennessee right. who's going to visit this summer. And you know who Florida, who he likes Florida, but is Florida going to take him because they still like some other guys? I think he's a guy that Miami could eventually, you know, find themselves in a really good spot with. So, um, I mean, I think you can still land a, a pair of guys that you feel really good about, and then you know, really shift focus and just really go hard after that 2023 class. Okay, so the last question we're going to get into is a long one, but I think it's a good one and a, a topic worth worth uh diving into it's from reasonable canes fan one he asks last year manny demonstrated that he had learned quite a bit from the mistakes he made as a head coach in year one he lists examples he says he changed the offense was far less of the quote-unquote rah-rah twitter guy did not appear to tolerate the bs from players as he did in 2019 Based on your limited digital interactions with him, interviews with assistants, and any off-the-record conversations you may have had with players and people in the program, what growth as a head coach can we expect in 2021? For example, maybe not having his team be incredibly flat for big games. So I'll I'll take I'll start with this, Gabby, since I've yeah. you know no doubt I was going to tell you to take the lead here. <laughs> so let's. Let's just start uh, by, by recognizing and understanding that, yes, Manny Diaz is learning to be a head coach on the fly, right? I think that's fair to point out. I think that's fair to expect. If you're expecting otherwise, that, then, you know, those, those expectations are unfair. Uh, but I do think he has shown, you know, in a small sample size, but he's still shown that he is willing to make uh, swift changes year over year, uh, where the problems kind of pop up, you know, in 2019, I agree with your assessment that the posters assessment that he was a little too much, uh, brash on Twitter too swaggy on Twitter, on social media. And I do think his team kind of took on that personality during the course of the season, uh, you know, dropping games like to, to FIU, to Duke, to Louisiana Tech, um, you know, not ju just not a very focused team, I think is fair to say. And I think Manny kind of did some self-reflection that offseason 
and understood that, you know, it's probably not best in the long run for a head coach to act that way. Uh, you know, it, it's good for maybe uh, recruiting and, and maybe it catches recruits attention to act that way. But, you know, when you're the leader of a, of a group of men, uh, probably not the best way to act. So in 2020, you know, Manny was kind of more all about accountability. He is growing into being much more of a straight shooter. I think with, with each player, with the team in general, uh, he doesn't sugarcoat anything. And I think the older, more mature players really like that about Manny kind of respond to that style. And, you know, I think he, he is looking to build uh, in general, a, a culture of accountability at Miami. And, and so that is underway. And I think the team is gravitating to that uh, in, in terms of like making swift changes to the coaching staff. Obviously in 2019, you know, things weren't working on offense. I think Dan Enos was, was a bad fit personality wise um, more so than anything, you know, like the scheme and all that gets the most attention. Uh, I'm kind of a believer that any scheme can work, right? Uh, as long as you can execute it. So I'm not necessarily downplaying the, the scheme Danny Enos wanted to implement, but I think he was just a bad fit personality-wise uh, with, with both Manny, honestly, as a head coach, and also just the players that, that were on the team. So he switched it up, hired Rhett Lashley, who you know runs a, a scheme, that, that will be more appealing to recruits, which does matter in, in that regard. But also Rhett is, is kind of a guy that, um, you know, understands how to uh, coach the modern athlete. He, he still coaches them hard, but he does a good job of, of connecting with those athletes as well. So, you know, that was a, a swift change. And then also, you know, you look at after this past 2020 season, you know, there was really, it was tough to excuse that North Carolina performance, you know, did Manny necessarily fire the entire offense or defensive staff? No. Uh, but, you know, changes were made to the staff. I think Manny kind of pushed those changes uh, in a way. And so now it's kind of a brand new defensive staff outside of Jonathan Padke. I think one of the, the things he did address from a recruiting standpoint that was important to address was switching up uh, the cornerback recruiting by hiring, you know, Demarcus Van Dyke or elevating him in that role. Uh, you know, kind of a young, hungry recruiter type. Also, Travaris Robinson adding him, who is a great recruiter in his own right. Also, just a good technical coach. You know, both corners and safeties. So hopefully, the play there gets cleaned up because there was a lot of sloppiness uh, both at corner and at safety during the course of last season. So Manny moved quickly to address that. And, you know, these might seem like obvious things, but, you know, if we think about it, you know, looking at the Mark Richt era, he uh, was unwilling to give up play calling. He was unwilling to make a change at, at the quarterback coach spot, right. With, with John Richt holding down that position. Uh, so there was some stubbornness there. And then you, you think back to the Al Golden era, right, when he was very loyal to Mark D'Onofrio and, and the defensive system, they both wanted to run, quite frankly, but Al Golden was stubborn in that he didn't want to make a change there. So I think it's a good uh, trait early on in his head coaching career that Manny Diaz 
is showing the willingness to be adaptable. In terms of the, the flat for big games thing, it is interesting, right? Because um, it is a trend, but, but at the same time, I don't know what to make of it. Um, it does need to be addressed, but is it necessarily like a Manny Diaz issue or, or a Manny Diaz trend? Or is it a much bigger issue, much bigger trend, Miami Hurricanes football trend in general? Um, because, you know, if, if you think about it, uh, this, this coming out flat for big games, uh, it's, it's also like, I think you could also say, well, what game has Miami come out? But the, the thing that sparked this in my head was a poster asked, what is the biggest game? outside of like a win at Florida state um, that Miami has won Miami has achieved on the road or, you know, and really, if you look at it, Gabby, like the last 10 to 15 years, Miami doesn't have a very impressive road win against a quality team. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest wins that, that I could kind of remember here in recent years, obviously Notre Dame, in 2017, um, that was obviously a huge win. I think, uh, but but again, that was at home. Uh, if we're talking about road games or neutral site games, it's been tough in general. You know, dating back to the Al Golden era, the Mark Richt era, this Manny Diaz era, Miami in general has not been able to handle its business on the road or in a neutral site game. I think you look at the the West Virginia game, that that bowl game. In 2016, that was a nice showing by Miami. Yeah. But outside of that, this program really hasn't taken that next step uh, of going on the road or in a neutral site game and handling your business. So um, I agree that is a step Manny needs to show as a head coach. Uh, but but I think in general too, it's it's a show. It's it's a step Miami needs to show as a program. And so when you're when you're looking at this 2021 season. Uh, you you got to look at that Alabama game, which I don't know if it's expect fair to expect a win there. Um, but, but Miami is to come out, not play quote unquote flat, uh, you know, be competitive somewhat in that game. Uh, maybe the goal, you know, or a realistic expectation is, is to quote unquote beat the spread, right? Uh, that would be a, a nice optimistic showing for Miami. And then, you know, the big game, I think, where Manny can kind of get that quote-unquote signature win that, that's kind of eluded him is North Carolina on the road. It kind of checks all those boxes. North Carolina probably going to be a ranked team. Um, that game is on the road. North Carolina, um, you know, it would be a quote-unquote revenge type game, which honestly Manny Diaz has done a good job of, of doing. Uh, as a head coach, kind of winning those games that they lost the previous year in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, Manny is a coach that is growing into the position, but, but I think the early returns so far are impressive in that regard. He is learning on the job. He's, he's showing the ability to be adaptable from year to year. He's not going to keep things stale. I think he's improving as a recruiter, which he needed to do. Um, and so I think things are, are trending in the right direction, but this year three is going to be a huge year for Manny and honestly that the Miami program in general, because they need, there's no excuses. They need to win at least 10 games this year. 
And I think if they do that, the recruiting will continue to be at the level it needs to be at. If these can kind of start quote unquote rolling downhill uh, as a football program where, you know, you start stacking that, that top talent and uh, you know, we feel good about the future of the quarterback position. Uh, but, but if you start stacking that top talent, um, you know, Miami can kind of annual be annually be expected to be in that top 15 type range. And then if they keep leveling up and recruiting top 10, maybe competing for ACC titles, all that stuff, you know, Miami's still a couple years away from, from getting to that point, um, in my opinion, but, I think my Manny is doing a nice job growing into the position. So that was kind of my rant, Gabby. What is, what are your takes on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you nailed, I think you nailed a lot of it. Um, one thing that just kind of stand up, I mean, just like in terms of Manny in 2021, uh, I just think from like a staff consistency or just like a team consistency, I think that this is going to be like the most promising situation in general for him since he's yes. kind of taken over. And just like, you know, in terms of like the whole offensive staff is here, you know, this is going to be his first time he's had the same offense in back-to-back years, you know, with Rhett Lashley uh, kind of taking over that. And again, we've talked about the, the college football game and how it's going offense. So to have that continuity on the offensive side, I think we'll just, I think there'll just be a natural progression there. And I think on the defensive side, you know, while there was some staff like turnover, uh, you know, DeMarcus Van Dyke is a guy who's been in the building a long time. Jess Simpson is a guy that's been at Miami before. Uh, Ishmael Aristide is, you know, a Miami-Dade County native, you know, like born here. And then Travars Robinson, same deal, guy that's from Miami. So you have those roots there of guys that, like, you are bringing them from outside of the program, but they're still invested into the community and are familiar with the area and all that stuff. So I just feel like from a – like just from a consistency standpoint of just like, you know, having everything kind of going one direction, like everyone kind of moving the same way without any of that pushback. I think this is probably the most promising situation that Manny Diaz has been in so far. So I think this is going to be a, I think this is going to be a good year for him to show just like who he can be just because of like, you're not dealing with a lot of like the other stuff that he's kind of had to deal with in the past, you know, year three. So he's already kind of got the gist of being a head coach to an extent and then you also have the rest of that. And that's kind of just seems to just be kind of matching up too. So, Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 